good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. Merry Christmas. Guys, I don't think we can hear that enough during this time of year. Am I, am I right? Merry Christmas, man. This is a great time of season. Um, especially in Texas, where when you wake up and it's 80 degrees outside and pouring down rain, thunderstorms, not a big deal, versus what we could have is cold air and snow, right? Uh, well, it's good to be with you guys. I am excited to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you go ahead and get them out and open up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. While you guys are doing that, I'm going to pull my phone out and I'm going to start a timer. Everybody's seeing that, right? Okay. You're welcome. So, um, as many of you guys know, we're going to be taking a break from our current study through the book of Ephesians. Um, it's been an incredible book so far, and I pray that after the Christmas season we'll get back to it and we'll learn a ton more from Paul as he, writes, as he wrote that letter to the city of Ephesus. But we are now turning our attention to the holidays, and when I say the holidays, to Christmas. We begin this series uh, seeing uh, it's Christmas through the eyes of blank, right? So last week, we had an incredible message from our brother and now deacon, Davis Bragg, uh, who gave us a glimpse of Christmas through the eyes of Joseph. Um, and we saw this great parallel between Joseph as the earthly father of Jesus to our heavenly father when he gave his son Jesus to us, uh, to Mary and Joseph as our savior. So it was a really great message. But today, we're going to be looking at another set of individuals uh, that are very popular during this time of year, Christmas. Um, as you can see, we actually have three of them up here behind us. Uh, great decorations by Miss Modena, by the way. Um, but it's the three wise men. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And how fitting that I'm talking about the wise men, right? Uh, I thought about wearing my, my, I thought about dressing up as a wise guy. Um, but I figured this was enough, right? Um, but we're going to be spending time looking at Christmas through the eyes of the wise men. Um, and I say that the wise men are, are pretty popular during this time of year because of one of the most popular and iconic decorations and one of the or decorative scenes that we see, many you guys probably have in your house right now or out in your front yard, and it's the nativity scene, right? It's a scene where you see this makeshift barn, uh, and inside the barn there's a husband and wife, which is Mary and Joseph, and then between Mary and Joseph that they're looking down into this little uh, feeding trough is the baby Jesus, right? Which is very accurate. It's a very accurate depiction of, of the birth of Jesus. And then as you kind of zoom out a little bit more, you see the, the animals, right? Which is also very accurate because they were in a barn. Uh, and, and as I said, Jesus was in a manger, which was a feeding trough. And then if you zoom out even more, who else is in the, the nativity scene typically? The shepherds, that's right. You see the shepherds. And then who else? The wise men, right? The wise men. And in theory and in practicality, this gives us a, a full glimpse of the interactions that Jesus had as a baby with these different individuals. And it's a beautiful picture. But for us as believers, we have a tendency of, of thinking of that as it's accurate. As if all of those interactions occurred in that moment. Um, and that's not the case. And what we see is, is that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus actually had different interactions with the shepherds. And then in later time, they had a different interaction with the wise men. And that's what I want us to look at today when we look at Matthew chapter 2. I want us to dive a little bit deeper into this, this scene, this interaction between 
Mary and Joseph and Jesus with these three wise men that we also have oftentimes, as, as Medina and Miss Christoph actually just played, we three kings, we often refer to them as kings. Well, we're fixing to dive deeper into that as well. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll read this passage together and dive in. So will you pray with me? Lord God, we just come before you, and Lord, we ask that you go before this time. Lord, that you'll just truly uh, be with us as your people, that your spirit will lead us and guide us, and that um, he will just teach us from your word, and that if there's anything that I say, that he will not go into the ears of the people. But Lord, I pray that you will speak, and that you will show who you are in light of your word through this interaction of the, of the wise men and with your son, Jesus. Um, but Lord, just be with us this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me as we read this passage together. Again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. And it is up on the screen if you don't have your Bible, but I invite you to have a Bible to read with me. It says this in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you of Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them, or he sent, yeah, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it had come to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And after being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. This is a very incredible interaction that we see here. And as I said, there's a lot of ideas about how this interaction actually played out. And, and my goal this morning is to bring insight to the, bring more accuracy to this event. Um, because there is so much that we can learn from these wise men and how they responded and ultimately went and worshiped and then ultimately discerned the spirit when the, at, the, at the end of their journey. And so let's look at this together. But before we learn these simple truths from the wise men, I wanna, I wanna give you a little bit more uh, detail on the characters at play. And the characters I'm gonna be looking at this morning obviously are the wise men, King Herod, and the chief priests and the uh, scribes, the religious leaders. So the first people I wanna look at there are the wise men. And instead of, um, uh, the, what I want to do first is I want to look at what we don't know about them, okay? What we don't know. What we don't know is how many there were, 
And you're like, what are you talking about, Josh? There's three wise men up there traveling across the baptistry. That's, that's true. But we actually don't know the, the number of wise men that were there. Based off tradition, with the gifts that were given, we can assume that there was at least three because there was three different gifts. But it can be two, it can be 10, it can be 20. The verbiage that we see here from Matthew is that uh, in, the day, or in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east. It does, it does not give us an accurate number. And that word wise men translated from the Greek is actually uh, magos, which means magi or wise men. And so it's just plural, okay? So there's not a de definitive number. The other thing that we don't know as well are their names. And you guys are probably thinking, well, I've never even thought about putting a name to these wise men. Well, in history's past and in tradition, there actually have been individuals who sought to put a name to these wise men. And not only sought to put a name to these wise men, but they also apparently have found their bodies and they have now uh, have them in a special place overseas somewhere. I, I, it's pretty incredible. These are things that as a kid or even as an adult now, I'm like, why would you even worry about that? Like, what's, what's the point of that? But um, these, some of their names that they have mentioned are uh, Melkon, Bathazar, and Gasper. Talk about names, right? Um, but these are the guys that they supposedly have found. But we don't actually know their names because it's not written in biblical history. And then the last thing that we don't know is when they actually arrived to Jesus. Again, when we look at the nativity scene, we have this tendency to think that it was during the early uh, season of Jesus's life. I mean, we see Jesus in the manger as a baby. But when we actually read the account of Matthew, it says here that um, when they actually found Jesus, they went into a house where the child was. So the verbiage is different which means it gives us into a glimpse of that. This is actually probably a year or two after Jesus was born. Jesus is no longer an infant, but rather he's probably a toddler. And they're no longer in the, in the, um, in the barn, but rather they're in a house, most likely given to them from a relative of Joseph. And so this gives us a, a, a pretty incredible time span here of what actually could have happened during the time of when the wise men first saw the star to when they actually met Jesus. Now, what we do know about these men are their origin and their setting, right? So we do know that these wise men, uh, as they're called magi, when we look at this, um, is most likely from the Persian empire, or the Babylonian empire, which means that they are from the far east. Um, and this is a big deal when you are considering the cultural context of what we're looking at here, because these are not Jewish men. These are non-Jewish men. These are Babylonians, Persians. And they know, they see this star in the sky, they see it, they investigate it, because what we will later find out is that a magi, what they do is he's an astrologer. They study the stars, they're students. And so the likelihood of them gazing in the star and seeing this supernatural phenomenon, and then for them to drive to go and to search what it's about, it's pretty incredible. And if anything, that in itself is an example for us as believers today of how we are to search scripture. But the reality is, is uh, there's a, um, a commentator named Homer Kent who says, it is entirely conceivable that these men had made contact with Jewish exiles. So going back to the Babylonian captivity of the nation of Israel. 
that their ancestors have made contact with these Jewish exiles and their scriptures or their writings of like Daniel and Isaiah and the book of Numbers, they had access to these manuscripts. So they studied Jewish uh, texts. It's, pre it's pretty incredible. So it says that the, um, they had made contact with Jewish exiles or with the prophecies and the influence of Daniel and thus were in possession of the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah. And when you go to Numbers 24, 17, it is actually a prophecy regarding the star of Jacob, which is talking about the Bethlehem star. And so with all this in mind, these astrologers, these magi, when they're back in their own land are studying these manuscripts. And when they look up into the, star, into the skies and they see this incredible star, it triggers them to go and to seek what it is about. And what they find is that it's about this prophecy stated back in not only Numbers, but also back in Micah and Daniel about this Messiah King, this true King of the Jews who is to be born, who will come and reign forever. So that's what we don't know, what we do know about the wise men. And then the other two characters to play, I don't want to go into them too terribly deeply, but are Herod the Great, uh, or, Herod the, or King Herod, and then the religious leaders. King Herod, guys, um, many of you guys probably know more about King Herod than I do, but he was a very vicious, vicious king. He was a tyrant. Um, he came into uh, the position as king uh, from the Roman Empire. He was put as king over Judea. And while he was king, he was so extremely insecure that if he ever caught word about anybody trying to overthrow him or to take his throne, including his own family, he would have them murdered. He murdered his wife and his own sons because of the threat that they were going to try to take over his throne. And so he was a vicious, vicious king. And it's actually said about Herod by another historian, um, Macrobius. He wrote this. He says, when Caesar Augustus, Caesar, heard that Herod, the king of the Jews, had ordered boys in Syria under the age of two years old to be put to death, and that the king's son was among them, they were killed. He said, I'd rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. That's the kind of king Herod was, and he was the king of the Jews. So obviously with all this in mind, there was a little bit of tension there between King Herod and, and the Israelites. And so that's why when we read here in the text of when, when Herod heard this, talking about the Messiah, the, the king of the Jews, he was troubled and what does it say thereafter? And all Jerusalem with him. So if King Herod wasn't happy, guess who else wasn't happy? Israel, right? So that's who King Herod is. And the chief priests and scribes, obviously, these are the religious leaders in the Jewish culture. So the chief priests are the ones who, uh, are, who oversee Jewish worship. And then the scribes are the ones who oversee Jewish law. And the reason why I want to bring them into light today is because of how they respond to the prophecy. When we look at the prophecy, when, when, when Herod brings them in and he inquires of them of what this Messiah is and where he was to be born, they read this prophecy that's a combination of Micah chapter five, verse two, and then also out of Isaiah where it says, uh, uh, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is a shepherd uh, for my people, Israel. See, and it goes on, it says, and then he kind of cuts scene to where Herod then goes back to the wise men secretly. But what I want to point out is the, is the demeanor of these religious leaders. Just like the Magi, they have access, more access to all the historical manuscripts 
of their time of the Old Testament. So for them, not to be aware of the Bethlehem star, of this supernatural phenomenon, shows indifference. They were more worried about their social status and their hierarchy in the Jewish culture than worrying about what the word of God was telling them and preparing them for. So again, the Magi, these wise men, give us a greater example of how we as believers today are to be studying God's word and preparing ourselves for the things to come than even the own religious leaders of the Jewish culture of that time. That's incredible. So I hope, again, just by this information alone, I hope it broadens your perspective about the nativity scene and, and, and the significance of these wise men coming. Because this is one of the first occurrences of non-Jewish men coming to worship Jesus. Powerful, powerful stuff. So again, why is this information important? Because it gives us more accuracy to the picture and understanding of the journey that would take place of these wise men who were far from home, dealing with an insecure king from another nation who had ill intentions of using them to destroy the only person who had the greatest threat to his throne. That's, this is a powerful, powerful story. All right, so now let's turn our attention though to specifically the wise men and what we can learn from them. And the first thing I want us to see here is that these wise men, they studied the scriptures. They studied the manuscripts. And this is important for us because many of us in this room today say that we read our Bible and that we read scripture and that we dwell with God, but yet we neglect it most often. But these guys studied scripture. We see that in verse one, right? It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, why did they come to Jerusalem? Well, one, they read in the manuscripts about this great, uh, this prophecy of the Messiah coming that would be led by this great star. They see the star and they go to the one place where it's the most conceivable idea of where the king of the Jews would be born, which is the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. So they studied the manuscripts. They saw in context where this king should be born and they go. And when they get there, they interact with the wrong king of the Jews, the, the, not the rightful king of the Jews. But another fun fact, Herod is actually the descendant of Esau, okay? So Esau, the, the brother of Jacob, who gave up his birthright back in Genesis 25, same guy, okay? So Herod is not the rightful king of the Jews, but rather Jesus is because he comes from the line of David. So these wise men studied the scripture. The second thing I want us to pull from them is that not only did they study the scripture, but they responded to scripture, they responded to the manuscripts. They responded to the information that was given to them, to these prophecies. They didn't just sit back and like, wow, this is a really incredible prophecy. And wow, we see this really incredible star. It's beautiful. Can you take a picture of it for me? Right? No. They, they read the manuscript. They read the prophecies. And they went and sought who was to come from the prophecy, which is Jesus. They responded. And we see that in verses, the second half, verse 1 into verse 2 where it says they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they automatically, they know who the prophecy is about. For we saw his star and when it rose and we have come to worship him. So they not only knew who he was, but rather they responded and wanted to come and worship him. These non-Jewish guys. Incredible. And if you jump down to verses eight and nine, it says, and he sent them to Bethlehem, talk about Herod, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may to come and worship him. After listening to the king, 
they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So these guys lay out for us true act of obedience. They see the prophecies, the prophecies are stirring their heart, their spirit to go and to see who the Messiah is. They go and they seek the true king of the Jews. When they interact with the false king, he tells them to go and to find him. So he encourages them to go and find him out of ill intent. And then when they go, they still see the same incredible supernatural star that will ultimately lead them to the true Messiah, the true king of the Jews. So they responded. The third thing I want us to pull from this is that these wise men not only studied the manuscripts, not only did they respond to it, but what else did they do? They worshiped. They worshiped. When they finally came to where the star stood still above the house where Jesus was, they went in. What does the text say? It says, um, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11 says this, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Again, not to sound like a broken record, non-Jewish men. This is not their Messiah. At least at this point, it wasn't communicated that way. But now obviously with new insight and with Jesus coming, he is now our Messiah, right? But as a result of them arriving to the house, walking in and seeing the child, what was their, what was their reaction? How many of you guys fall on your knees daily to the name of Jesus? I don't. That's what's so convicting about this. Sorry if I step on your toes, but it's the reality of us in the heart condition of worshipers of Jesus. We have diluted the, the beauty of Jesus coming. This was not just any normal baby, but rather this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one the prophecy who was told from of old, who came to fulfill the will of the Father so that we should not die and perish, but what? Have everlasting life. And when these guys saw Jesus in the house, they fell down to worship him, a child. How do you think Mary fell and Joseph? And not only did they worship him, but what else did they do? They gave him gifts. They gave, they gave him gifts, this child. And it's not just any gifts. These were extravagant gifts of their time. They gave them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold being a pure, valuable, nearly indestructible metal that is fit for a king. They gave them frankincense, which was a resin of bitter taste that when mixed with oil gives a fragrantful odor meant to, not only to be uh, used to anoint priests, but also to be used when sacrificing in the temple. And then the last one was myrrh, which is another uh, aromatic substance which was used to prepare dead bodies for burial. Okay, I know it's kind of a, a, a weird thing to think of when you're giving a gift, right? But um, this substance was used to cover the odor of decaying bodies, okay? So, but these three gifts were significant. Now, I don't know if these were actually intentional gifts that the wise men were like, man, if this is the Messiah, then we should give them gold, we should give them frankincense, and we should give them myrrh. But what I do believe is that God put on their heart to give them these gifts as a symbolic representation of what Christ will do. 
Because when you think about these three gifts again, gold is a gift for royalty for a king. Frankincense is a gift for a priest, uh, is a priestly gift for anointing. So not only Jesus, he would ultimately come to be our king, he would be our great high priest and through the order of Melchizedek. And then the last one is myrrh, a gift foreshadowing the inevitable suffering and death of Jesus on the cross to fulfill his role as Messiah's savior. So this last one ultimately foreshadowed his death. It's absolutely incredible the significance of these three gifts. But the last thing I want us to see here as we start wrapping up is that these wise men, not only did they study the manuscripts, not only did they respond to the manuscripts, but they, they worshiped out of response, but they also became wise. It's the last thing I want us to see, that they became wise. You're like, well, Joshua, are already wise men. Why, how do they become more wise? As I said, these are non-Jewish men who were in their own society considered wise. But after this encounter with Jesus, they truly become wise. They become enlightened. Their eyes become open to who the true Messiah, Savior, King is. And what we, and we see that here in verse 12. It says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So as a result of this encounter, the wise men encountered the promised Messiah from of old, like I said, from Micah 5, or chapter 5, verse 2, for eight, forever changing the trajectory of their lives. And through this, uh, through this special revelation by God, once again, we see that he comes and he warns them about not returning to Herod. And they learned about the true intentions. Sorry, my timer just went off, so I'm almost done. Um, they learned about the true intentions of the false king of the Jews, Herod, who wanted to use them for ill intent to kill baby Jesus, what we will later see in verses 16 through 18. Um, but rather, they, they hear God's warning and they, their minds and their eyes and their heart become enlightened to the reality of the situation. They just encountered the true king of the Jews, Jesus, the one who had come to redeem and save the world. As a result of that, they don't need to go back to the one who's trying to kill them. So instead of remaining true to the false king of the Jews, they remain true to the true king of the Jews and they find another way back to their own land. Guys, has this given you a glimpse into the reality of, of what it's like for us as believers today? The same experience that these wise men had through their journey is the same experience that we gain when we receive Jesus today. When we read through his word, our, we, we, we are, our hearts are stirred. And when our hearts are stirred, we go and we seek to respond. And when we respond, we can't do anything else but to worship him. And when we worship him, we, as a result of all these things, our minds, our eyes, our hearts become enlightened to the reality of who our king is and to who our God is. And there should be no other response but to worship and to share the good news of Jesus to those who we encounter. For as Jesus would later say in his ministry in John chapter five, verse 24, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And I believe that these wise men experienced that this day when they encountered Jesus. 
And it also goes on in Proverbs 14, 16. It says, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is, or a fool is reckless and careless. I believe that these wise men accurately displayed this for us. Upon hearing of the ill intent of King Herod, they turned away from evil and they went a different way. So as we wrap up our time though, and as we conclude this time and go to time of invitation, there's, there's one last truth I want us to point out though as a result of this interaction of this journey of the wise men. This narrative doesn't just give us a glimpse of a divine encounter between a group of non-Jewish men and the newborn king of the Jews, but rather it is also preparing us for another day. It's giving us a glimpse into another day where we ourselves will encounter the true king of the Jews. Many of us have already encountered him in a very real way when it comes to our, our hearts our spiritual journey, our, our, our hearts, our eyes have been enlightened to the reality of who Jesus is. But there will be a day where we will meet Jesus face to face. Except this time, we won't meet him as Messiah Savior. We'll meet him as Messiah King. And I pray that when we meet him, that we will have no other position but to fall down to worship. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus today, this is a glorious day. Something that we should be anticipating to see. We should be excited about. Granted, there's a lot of beautiful things in life on earth, but let me tell you something. This is just a, what you experience here on earth on your best day is just a glimpse of what you'll experience in heaven for eternity. So for us as believers, this is great news. But for anyone who is outside of the will of God, for anyone who does not believe in Jesus or rejects Jesus, this is a, this is a very scary day. It should be. Because what we ultimately see is that for anyone who comes to Jesus and who does not submit to his will and does not receive him as Savior and Lord will be cast out of his presence for eternity. Okay, that's hell. It's a very unfortunate picture. So I would, I would like to invite anybody here who is not prepared, who is not ready, who is not seeking this, this day, this opportunity to, to experience Jesus, that today will be the day we experience him here right now. Sure, you may never experience Jesus physically in this earth. That's fine. Because you'll, you'll experience him physically for eternity in heaven. But I pray that today you'll meet him now, spiritually, emotionally, like all the above, that you'll receive him today as Savior and Lord so that he can transform your heart and your mind. That when, 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 you, when you think about the, the good news that you can't have any other position but to worship. So that's you today. I challenge you to come down. Talk to me. Talk to Victor. Talk to somebody that you know without a shadow of a doubt is a believer in Jesus. Have that conversation. And I pray that you receive Jesus today as your Savior and Lord. But for the rest of us, I pray that as we go throughout the remainder of this Christmas season, that we will not neglect that we, or, and forget what the true meaning of Christmas is about. The decorations are great. The presents are great. But without Christ coming as our Messiah, Savior, we would be lost. We would be doomed in this life. So may we not neglect to worship Jesus appropriately this Christmas season. Because again, we worship him and we admire him as baby Jesus but we can't forget what he grew up to be, what he now is, 
and that is our king. Will you pray with me? Lord God, as we wrap up our time, I pray that you will work in the hearts of everyone in this room. Lord, if there's something on our hearts that we need to confess, that we need to get off our chest, that we need to lift to you, I pray that's exactly what we'll do. Lord, if there's anyone in this room today, Father, who does not know who you are personally, Lord, that you'll pull on their heart, that you'll, that you'll speak to them, and that they will come to know you in a very real way today, whether it's here, now, in the sanctuary, or on their drive home, wherever the case may be. I pray, Father, they will come to know you so that way they can have the comfort and security in, in Christ Jesus for eternity. But Lord, ultimately, though, I just pray that as we continue this series and as we look at the different perspectives of Christmas through the different eyes of the, the characters involved with the birth of Jesus, I pray, Father, that we will learn from them and that we will come back to the root of what Christmas is about, and that is worshiping our Savior and our King. So Lord, please work in our hearts, reveal the things that we need to confess, but ultimately, Father, I pray that we will worship. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the way that you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.